Hello and welcome to the Respublica podcast. For about 11 months now, going on a year, men and women have been social distancing and isolating themselves in order to prevent exposure to the COVID-19 virus. I thought it would be a good opportunity to repost this episode on toxic masculinity and incels. If there was ever a time in our recorded history where men were self-isolating and bad habits were accentuated and even heightened, it would be the COVID-19 pandemic. In about a week, on April 15th, the state of California will open up vaccines for individuals under 50 years old. There's a large group of singles between the ages of 19, 35, and the second cohort of 35 to 45. These men are the members of what would be described as the Me Too movement because of their toxic masculinity and their behavior to self-isolate themselves and have antisocial behavior. This episode was recorded in 2018. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Respublica podcast. Uh, episode 72. Tonight we have special guest Libby. Please introduce our special guest. Uh, hello, everybody. And tonight we will be talking to American Johnson, and he uh, used to be a misogynist, a capitalist, and a right-wing libertarian. Today he's a feminist, a Marxist, and an anarcho and an anarcho-communist. I knew I was going to trip over that one. Uh, anarcho-communist blogger and YouTuber at non-compete.com. So, American, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about, you know, why we brought you on today and and the topic at hand. So, yeah, you asked me to come on here and talk about uh, Inseldom. First of all, I'd like just to thank you for welcoming me here. And uh, it's it's pretty exciting to be able to come and talk about some of these things because I think they're very important. Um, I'm, I'm actually a bit new to the whole idea of, uh, you know, the, the ideas of feminism and and rejecting the, the toxic masculinity. Uh, I, I just sort of discovered this world about maybe about a year or two ago. And like you said in my intro, I used to be like in my, especially in my teens and early 20s, I was I was a pretty rabid misogynist. <laughs> and, um, I, and the first thing I want to say about incels is re- seriously, like there, but for the grace of God, go I. Because when I was younger, there wasn't like this mainstream red pill manosphere in seldom movement. None of these kinds of words. I mean, I think that they, they, they definitely existed because in seldom actually goes back to the 90s. But I wasn't aware of them and most people huh. weren't aware of them yeah, no. when I was younger. Um, so, But I was the kind of young man that would have definitely been drawn into this kind of toxic masculine ideology. I'm, I'm sure of it because – a lot of the things that they're saying and a lot of the things that they believe are things that I believed and said when I was younger, but I just didn't have this community to kind of draw me in. So fortunately I never fell in as deeply as some of these young men are falling into it today. And they're not all young men. There are, there are older men as well who, who go for these um, ideologies, men older than myself. I'm 34 actually. Um, but, but I definitely understand, I think because I used to have this kind of mindset, I think I have an understanding of, of how these sort of toxic thought patterns and these toxic ideologies are able to kind of foment and spread with these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
And the first thing I want to, so just, okay, so some people might have no idea what an incel is, so I guess I jumped the gun. <laughs> but uh, so for the listeners who don't know what an incel is, uh, it's been in the headlines a little bit lately because there has, there was a recent, you know, we can go ahead and call it what it is. It was a terrorist attack uh, by an incel and an incel, incel stands for involuntary celibacy or an in, involuntary celibate. So these are, you know, the vast majority of them are men, uh, young men usually, and, and typically young white men. And um, these are men who basically believe that they will, they, they, you know, m- many of them have never had sex and believe that they will never have sex. And that's sort of what they claim to be the, the core of their movement is, the, you know, this idea of just a lifelong virginity. Uh, but if you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I also saw a term, um, called forever alone and i'm just wondering and i think that one is sort of really encompasses is very easily understood you can kind of immediately you know right. get what they're about even uh some of them had said that they may have may, they may not be virgins they may have had sex once or twice or you know incredibly infrequently but that they have that like deep feeling that they will be um forever alone and i'm wondering if you know or um, even George, if you know, is there any, you know, um, is there any difference between, say, an incel and a forever alone? Or are they just sort of in the same in the same vein? Well, um, in preparation for this recording, I did a deep dive into uh, Reddit, and there are certain subreddits where people congregate, and where they congregate, and where they post that captures their sense of identity or their participation in that subreddit is their uh, group identity. Mm-hmm. And some are in the incels, some are in the forever alone, yeah. or at all. So it's just where you congregate, where you feel comfortable posting. Right, right. That's right. the spectrum. But the philosophy is generally the same um, for for a lot of the ones that you mentioned, except for maybe Red Pill, which um, does seem to be starkly different uh, from the Forever Alone, or like there's another one called Love Shy. Um, and, and so the Love Shy, the incels, and the uh, Forever Alone crowd kind of seem to have the same, the same vibe, uh, although the incels do seem to tend more on the violent side, I guess. Um, but then, yeah, if we were going to talk about the full spectrum of, like, the men's rights movement, if you will, sort of the bigger umbrella, um, there, there's a lot there to unpack. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. So, so as you were looking, as someone who kind of felt like they could relate, I, I, you know, I find that so fascinating. Um, but as someone who, who feels like they could relate, when you were, you know, prepping for this and reading through materials, or, or you know, I know that you have experience with this before this podcast, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. What, you know, what did you, how do you, how do you see it? Because, you know, there there are articles out there that I see that are very much like, you know, we've got to stop this movement. And then there's sort of articles that have almost a compassionate angle um, where, you know, it's like, is this somewhere that we need to be more, you know, aware of and, and, teach boys differently and and that kind of vibe as opposed to like you know the really angry voice that says you know all men that are and you know that identify as an incel are potential rapists for instance like where how did you kind of i don't know react as you were reading through these materials and and learning about these these groups 
Well, I yeah, so I started following this whole community years ago, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And I discovered them, I would say, at least half a decade ago. Uh, it was when I first discovered the Manosphere, as it's called, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly complex sort of ecosystem of toxic masculinity. And you have a, like you guys were, were kind of touching on earlier, there, there, there's a large spectrum of ideas and, and it's they're interwoven in some places and some places they're oppositional to each other uh so for instance um one thing that incels talk about is is the black pill so they call becoming an incel or, or adopting the incel philosophy taking the black pill and that comes directly from the idea of taking the red pill which is another manosphere term and the red pill is supposed to be this idea that most of most people in society don't realize the truth about society, and in their minds, the truth about society is that the patriarchy doesn't exist. That women actually have the power. It, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of ludicrous if you're if you're a feminist, of course. But to them, they feel like women have this power over men, and they use it to dominate men, and and they kind of feed into each other and convince themselves of this philosophy. So the black pill incel movement, uh, I see it. I mean, it's, it's not it's not directly coming out of that, but in a lot of ways, there's a funnel uh, that young men fall into where first they will fall into the the red pill movement. And the, the, the whole thing about the red pill movement is it's it's basically uh, snake oil. So it, it, and a lot of it is actually marketing and and essentially like get rich quick schemes for a lot of these these red pillars, as they're called. Right. Where they will, like the pickup up, artist crowd, the ones that are like tra- training you, like, oh, you don't have a good love life, you know, that, that might prey on like the early 20s who thought that maybe, you know, high school was bad, but I can, I can learn this stuff now. Like I'm starting over in college, I can get better. And then like the pickup artist community or the PUA community comes in and is like, hey, here's how you pick up a chick. And, and that is honestly how I discovered them because right. <laughs> when I was, well, when I was like maybe 25, I'm guessing it was a long time ago, but I was, uh, this was long before I discovered feminism and long before any of this stuff was anywhere near mainstream. But, you know, I was in like a six year long relationship and like suddenly found myself single. You know, I broke up with my ex and um, I was like, you know, not really sure how to get back into the dating scenes. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did what any nerd will do. <laughs> I went online and I looked up like dating tips and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's embarrassing to admit this, but it's, I'm, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Whatever. It's what every so, woman with a cosmopolitan back when I was, you know, a teenager and in college, like that's why you read Cosmo. <laughs> like that yeah. is what, so it, what's interesting to me about all of this is like, that there's this, you know, like taboo on men, like trying to learn dating tips and whatever. But of course, there's like this huge blanket of misogyny all over it. Whereas like the women's, but at the same time, the women's tips, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, were very much also blanketed in misogyny and like how to treat your man and, you know, how to make sure he has a good time and what's what it, like, so... There's some similarity, but it's really kind of amazing how much it's, um, I don't know, looked down upon when a man tries to learn how to date and, like, revered or almost, like, you know, what you're supposed to do if you're a girl learning to date. <laughs> it's it's well, just a- Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what the red pillars, I mean, that, so that's, yeah, so that's kind of what's sort of nefarious about the red pill thing, because it, on the surface value... It does look like this sort of innocent dating advice. Here's how mm-hmm. to meet girls. And they also say a lot of the things that you just said, which is that the traditional dating advice doesn't work. What people traditionally say about dating doesn't work. And that's the reason you're not getting girls. So that's the red pill philosophy. So the reason you can't get a girlfriend is because you're listening to society. And what society tells you is a lie, right? Mm-hmm. So they kind of they give you – it's like any – 
any toxic ideology. It's just like religious extremism. It's just like white supremacism. It gives you an enemy to blame for your problems, and it gives you this this excuse. So so that, that's the red pill idea. It's that if you follow my advice, if you do what I tell you to do, you will get girls, and you will be you know uh, this this strong alpha male kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that that's also bad advice because because when you dig deeper, and when I dug deeper back when I was sort of exploring this this movement, the red pill movement, um, you dig deeper and you realize it's really, they're really telling you how to abuse women and how to, you know, lie to women and, and hurt them. And, um, I fortunately had some, I, I've always been kind of interested in psychology. So, and I've also, you know, been targeted by sociopaths and, and been the subject of abuse before in my life. Um, nothing too extreme, but I, you know, I can see how it might, you know, sort of make sense to a, to a frustrated young man who can't, who can't get a girlfriend. So, all of that about the red pill is to get you to the idea of the black pill, which is that there are the, the, the red, the black pill philosophy, the incel philosophy is that there are just some men who will never be able to be successful with women. They will never have a girlfriend. They will never have a successful sex life, accept it and then make that a part of your life. You know, like make that your identity that you're just going to be forever alone, as they say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so to me, it's kind of sad and uh, what's sad and frustrating to me about it is that the reason they're swallowing this black pill, a lot of the cases, because I've seen, I've seen hours and hours of YouTube videos of these incels. I've read a lot of their blogs. I've read their manuals and their guides and their ideological tracts. And they typically try the red pill philosophy out for a while, sometimes for years, and it doesn't work for them. Because it can't work, right? Because it's all hogwash. It's it's mm-hmm. sneak oil. It's just it's stuff that guys are inventing so that they can sell books and get YouTube clicks. But it's not working for them. So that makes them feel even worse about themselves. Right. You know? So step one, as their just natural personality, they couldn't get a girlfriend. So then they tried this red pill thing and they tried everything that these guys were telling them to do. You know, they learned all the secrets and all the tips and they probably spent money on books and guides and, 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 you know, Patreon accounts to get insider access and that sort of thing. And then that didn't work. So then they, they turned to this other community, which is saying, hey, you know, it's, uh, it's not your fault. It's the women's fault. It's society's fault. And then that's sort of where we get to the core of what in seldom and the black pill really stands for. Because the first thing to understand is that it's not about sex. Uh, at all, because first of all, a lot of these incels have had sex either in previous relationships or or quite often through prostitution. So there are a lot of YouTube videos where incels will go to Las Vegas for you know legal prostitution, um, and they'll sort of talk about the experiences they have, and the sex never never satisfies them. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about not having sex. Um, you know, I believe it's an ideology, it's an extremist violent ideology, and it's about hating women. It's, it's, it's a very extreme form of misogyny. I call it the logical conclusion of misogyny because the incels have essentially come to the point where they hate women so much that they've officially declared war on them. If you look at the things that they're saying about women in their, in their forums and in their, you know, there's a reason that their Reddit groups get banned so often. So if you kind of cruise around and try to look for incel forums and you kind of try to follow the breadcrumb trail of like, Oh, if you want to learn about incels, you should go to this Reddit group or you should go to that Reddit group. They're like, they get shut down very quickly because these young men say things that are extremely violent, extremely hateful about women. There's a lot of talk about sexual assault. There's a lot of talk that glorifies violence 
there's a lot of t- there's a lot of discussion of suicide as well, which is right. the other point about this is that you know toxic masculinity doesn't just hurt women; it hurts men as well. And you do you do see a lot of incels committing suicide. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. The, for the listeners, just you know, like if you haven't gone down this rabbit hole, one like you need a thick skin. Like this is not like fun. This is not like yeah. hey, I need something to read Sunday morning. Like no. <laughs> Like, be prepared. Yeah. And the second thing is like, you know, like, well, how bad is it? Or, you know, what are we talking about in terms of a group? So one of the most popular incel groups uh, was at about 40 to 41,000 members. Um, And then there's other people that have studied groups of, you know, the like huge groups of men and, and whether or not like how in terms of the age between like age 18 and 44, like how many men in the world are virgins. And they mm-hmm. try and figure that out. And, and so, like, the numbers can be – it, it goes from being, you know, 40,000 actually doesn't sound enormous to me personally. Although, you know, like, if there's a Facebook group or something with 40,000 people, it's, it's not nothing. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's so, a movement. It's a movement. Yeah, it's, it definitely it's is. It's a thing. And, I, and, you know, speaking to what you said about, you know, the fact that they get shut down and that they're extremely violent inside, just real-world consequences. I believe I read that there was both – um, in two different states, there was in Pennsylvania, a university that was shut down um, near Philadelphia because in an incel Reddit thread, there was a threat to, I'm going to take down all of the Chads and Stacys. And Chads are the men, that's a nickname for the men that have an easy time. And Stacys are the girls who pretty much the same thing, sort of, the, you know, the ones that don't have this problem at all. The, there was a threat against a Philadelphia University on this thread and they actually had to shut down the school for the day because it was considered legit. And then the same thing happened in Kentucky where a university was shut down because a threat was made. So, I mean, and there are a number of, you know. I mean, there was an example right up the road. Right. Yeah, exactly. From Santa Barbara with Elliot Rogers and he went to UC Santa Barbara and, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes without saying the students that go to UC Santa Barbara are very good looking. And there were a lot of Chads and Stacys, and he just randomly, I, it still baffles me, he had a 5 Series BMW, he was 21 years old, and he had a Glock 19. And how a college student was able to have both a 5 Series and a Glock 19 at the same time, you know, unless his parents financed it, unbelievable to me. And he went around and he shot six people randomly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and and then recently we also had a, a guy named Alec Manassian in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. I believe in Toronto, who who yep. you know murdered people with a van. Ten people uh, mm-hmm. in 2009. There was a guy named George Sodini. This guy was actually in his 40s, um, and he went into I believe a gym. He shot a dozen. He he injured a dozen women and killed three. And it goes all the way back to 1989. Uh, that's as far back as I could find for this kind of uh, extreme misogynistic violence. There was a guy in 1989, uh, Mark Lapine. He killed 14 women in uh, Ecole Polytechnic in Montreal. It's an engineering college. Mm-hmm. So it's it's there are definite, and that's the that's the murder, and then that's not even counting the molestation and sexual assault. Right. Uh, this is the internet we're talking about, so we can't believe every single little comment or or post somebody makes, but. There are, I mean, I've seen hundreds over the years, I've seen hundreds of posts of men who talk about um, molesting women, you know, so I saw one post and it said, you know, oh, on the way home today, I, on the bus, I um, 
you know, basically molested a woman. He was he was more explicit than that, you know. And there are a lot of posts like that. Mm-hmm. There are posts where men are fantasizing about raping and, and murdering women. And mm-hmm. so who knows how many of these are not really documented and linked directly to inceldom, but, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of violence. In, and, um, and if you count, which I do, I count language as violence as well. Language can be violent. And, you know, in that case, we have, you know, every day we have women that are targeted by violence online by incels, uh, whether it's people sending nasty tweets that are, you know, threatening women, uh, threatening feminists. Um, and then if you look through, um, you can find a lot of examples where incels go on to Tinder or OkCupid or other dating sites and, you know, threaten women and, and, and put violence into their lives through through text. So, you know, it definitely has real world repercussions. And I'm, right. and I'm positive there are women who suffer every day, you know, because of this because of this mindset. Right. So it's, it's definitely a real world problem. It's not just something to, you know, kind of joke about. Um, or you know, to, to just suggest or like put into the category of like, oh, that's just people talking online. Um, that's kind of why I wanted to like go that route of talking. And, and when you brought up um, both the guy in Toronto with the van and the uh, USB, I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of like promoting their names. You know, I, I know who oh, they yeah, are. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, thought twice about saying that. Right. No, saying. I know. No, and I, you know, and I get it. It's fine. Um but uh, there was another guy in Oregon, and in these in these more recent cases, are people who self-identified as incels and would do things like put up posts, you know, right before their own suicides or right before their heinous act or whatever, you know, sort of uh, preaching the gospel of inceldom and have been you know, built up to be icons. And uh, the guy from US uh, USB, is known as the supreme gentleman, I believe is the yeah, term they right, use. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, it's really idealized and like the violence isn't sort of, but what I did read also, I wanted to bring up, um, cause you had talked about it being the logical conclusion to, uh, was it misogyny? misogyny. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I found it to be almost like the logical conclusion to toxic masculinity in that it's through exactly. reading through a lot of this, uh, more than misogyny and it being hatred yeah. of women being the end conclusion, it felt every time I read more and more, it felt like, you know, the definition of toxic masculinity in that it you're, you know, putting out all this hatred towards women. However, the the reality is, is there's a like the real crux of it is this self-loathing. You know, like if you think about like if you actually believed truly deeply that you are going to be forever alone, that means you buy into the belief that no one can love you, that you are not capable of being loved. <laughs> That's a real like hardcore thing. So so to me, it, it really, you know, like I said, is the logical conclusion to toxic masculinity is the self-loathing because it becomes this, you know, self-perpetuating reality um, where if you believe deeply that no one can love you and you believe deeply that, you know, you are awkward and you are an other and you are different and you cannot, you know, you cannot do this, you cannot be that, then, then you are going to be perceived that way. Uh, which then, of course, feeds into your belief that you are that way. You know, I just, I, in which case, that's why I kind of was asking about this whole, like, again, when I'm reading through it, I am just keep thinking, like, well, what do we do with this? There was one article in the Washington Post that talked a lot about, well, here's all these articles coming out as these, you know, different uh, crimes and murders and whatever happen that are just tearing down the, incel, you know, like, just, you know, going after the incel community and, 
saying that, you know, the red pill is this or the PUA people are this or the, the, which kind of feeds the beast by saying that society hates you. And uh, even now, that means that people who are incels cannot even say to their friends or family, like, I am an involuntary celibate, like, this is the community I identify with, because now that has implications that you're a potential murderer rapist, you know, like, I mean, as opposed to being able to say, like, this is how I'm feeling, or, you know, it, it, it creates a real weird dynamic from the standpoint of like okay if i were to meet someone who said that kind of thing to me or like let me know you know if it was a confidant or i was it's hard to say that i'm close to that person because the whole idea is they don't have a lot of close friends but if for whatever reason i found myself in a situation it's how oh, do you they, they, have, they have lots of friends that's one of the things they, they like to say a lot is that they get friend zoned a lot so <laughs> it's, oh, well, it's very yeah, possible I mean, for you to be their friend but they would argue that you know that you would never it, that's I, I was kind of making a joke there but um right, right. but but no they, i mean so there's a lot to unpack there first of all you were talking about how they that the the toxic masculinity and how it sort of is self-injuring and and in my mind it's a sort of a doomsday cult mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of uh an extra sort of horrible kind of doomsday cult because you know most doomsday cults they'll say doomsday is on such and such day and then that day comes and goes and maybe they all kill themselves or whatever but then it's finished but this is like everyone has their own little personal doomsday and it's like your life is over you're never going to be able to have a functional relationship with a woman you're basically dead when it comes to like your romantic life so it has that same kind of apocalyptic i guess appeal or or recruiting tactic that like you know very extremist forms of religions can take on and um, and suicide is such a big part of this community. They actually have like terms that that revolve around the word suicide. Like they have um, one of the one of the terms that they use is like suey fuel or something like that. So it's like these would be images or ideas that make you want to have suicide. And when somebody does commit suicide, they really glorify that kind of violence as well. So it's very much like this apocalyptic like like death cult sort of thing. Hmm. And when it comes to trying to fight that kind of ideology, it's obviously very difficult. I mean, we see the same problems with trying to uh, – I mean, I, I see this as, as it's an extremist, violent ideology that's really not much different functionally than, like, any kind of extremist religion, any kind of extremist, like, white supremacism. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, um, when it comes to trying to fight those kinds of, of ideologies, it can be tremendously challenging. And – Something I wanted to say, I guess, earlier, I think this is a really important sort of caveat about this discussion, is that um, the, the liberal community, and I, I don't, I mean, no offense to liberals, I don't consider myself a liberal, I consider myself a, a leftist, but um, I, see a, I see the liberal reaction to these, to these problems, um, and, and I don't think that they've been effective, especially the mainstream sort of popular culture uh, reactions, and because I, I see two, two forms of reactions to this. Um, one of them is having too much sympathy for them. And so I've seen columns, I've actually seen columns, you know, in mainstream newspapers, I, I can't find the link right now, but um, just basically saying that like these, these are people we should pity and that, you know, this is like a natural result of, of the way our society is and, and that we should, you know, feel sorry for them. And some, so me. some people even <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, perfect example. Yeah. I fit that. That's well, yeah. And I, and I, I absolutely, I, 
I have empathy for them since I used to be this kind of person. So I'm not saying that these are just like natural born killer monsters that, you know, we need to hunt down or anything like that. But, um, but I think if you give too much sympathy to any kind of, you know, I'm like the kind of, I, you know, that there's this whole debate with the leftist community, like whether or not you should punch Nazis. Have you heard about that whole discussion? Um, That one missed, missed my radar. (laughs) Yeah, so it it, it came. It was a pretty big topic a couple years ago because, you know, Richard Spencer, who's a big Nazi fascist guy. Oh, right, right. Yes, yes. There was this whole debate. Liberals and leftists were kind of having this debate, like, should you punch Nazis? You know, and so (laughs) it's kind of silly, but the idea is: are there some forms of ideology that just we as a society know are are wrong, and we just don't need to give those ideologies a platform? Um, and then the natural sort of reactionary position would be like, oh, we have to have free speech. We have to allow everybody to speak their mind. And, um, and I would see, I see this as falling into that, that kind of discourse. Like, do, do the, should the incels have a platform? Should we be listening to what they say? I say personally that this is such an extremist and violent and toxic kind of ideology that I don't feel like we need to be having a societal debate in wider society about like, well, you know, is there a kernel of truth to this? I see, I see that a lot. You know, there's a kernel of truth to what these what these incels are saying. I think that that that's just how sort of, all propaganda is built with kernels of truth. <laughs> that's I, I mean, like honestly. So, and yet, yeah. but we don't we don't outlaw or get rid of propaganda of any kind. So I'm not sure. I mean, like I, I feel like what you're trying to suggest is that this might fall into the you know yelling fire in a theater kind of situation where. No, I'm not you talking know. about censorship. I'm just talking about not giving any credit to them. Okay. Um, because so so the, I guess basically what I'm saying is the danger is if you try to take this extremely bleeding heart sympathetic tack with it, where it's like, oh, well, we understand why you're suffering. We understand why you're hurt. You know, it's you know, this is a safe place for you. You know, whatever. I feel like that is just sort of adding fuel to the fire. It's giving recognition to their ideas. And I don't think we need to do that. And I say that as a person who used to be this kind of toxically masculine, misogynistic person. Like, no, when I was that kind of person and when I was saying those kinds of things, I don't think that it would have helped me for you to give me, like, an abundance of sympathy. I think what would have helped me would be confrontation and undermining the, thing, the, 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 the false conclusions I was making. Because, you know, it's like you were just saying how every form of propaganda has a kernel of truth to it. It's like... Yeah, there are some accurate observations that incels and the wider manosphere movement are making. You know, and a lot of these observations are the same things feminists have been saying for decades. You know, that like a lot of what we say about a lot of what we believe about masculinity is is harmful, and a lot of these ideas are harmful to men. That's what the whole men's rights movement comes, you know, sort of comes from is the idea that men are harmed by society's expectations of men, right? So there is mm-hmm. like this there's this root which is a, an accurate observation. But then the conclusions that they draw from that are so like spectacularly harmful and wrong that I feel like what we need to be doing is is working really hard to undermine those arguments. And then so another thing I want to say is I see this as sort of a men's problem to confront. Like so so one one example of um, a pushback against the incel movement is a Reddit community called Incel Tears. And this, and there's a there's a lot of like YouTube videos that are similar to this. But essentially, what they do is they go around and they find incel posts, and they make fun of them and they mock them and they kind of tear them down and make light of what they're saying. And um, so I've seen some people say that like uh, this is the best reaction is to just totally 
uh, attack them. And and so I would say that for women and for LGBTQ people and people who are not like cishet white males, that's fine. I don't care if you, you want to make fun of incels or if you want to attack them or whatever, because white cishet males are your oppressors. And I'm never going to criticize an oppressed group for venting or lashing out or, or you know, doing what they can to react to their oppressors. Right. But when white cishet men indulge in that, I, I, I take issue with it because Hmm. I feel like this is, this is my community. You know, I'm a, I'm of this privileged class. I'm a white cishet male myself. And I feel like it's sort of my responsibility to educate and to, you know, school and police these other white cishet males. Will you just define white cishet male for those that don't? Because I've heard you, I just, for the oh. listeners, yeah. Yeah, so, so white's pretty obvious. Cishet, right. that just means, cis means um, not trans, essentially. So it means that, like, I identify with the gender I was assigned when I was born. So I was born, the doctor said I'm a man, I still consider myself a man, therefore mm-hmm. I am cis. And mm-hmm. then het- just heterosexual. So, mm-hmm. um, so essentially, like, this is, like, the most privileged class, except, you know, you could add capitalist onto that, and I'm not a capitalist. But, you know... Um, it's one of the more privileged classes would be a white cishet male. And this is largely what the incel community is composed of. Not 100%. There are non-white incels. There are some females who consider themselves all genders. There are people of all genders that consider themselves incels. Um, but it's like 99% white cishet males. So, um, and we as the, as the sort of privileged class, uh, I think need to be the ones that are taking the lead on, on, shutting down this movement and one of the main reasons is that they won't listen to anybody else like if a woman goes into this space and says anything they're going to get shut down immediately because the incels have absolutely no respect whatsoever for women or anything that women have to say so men and and especially straight heterosexual men have have some power that that women just can't have by definition in in fighting this this movement and so, you know, I think that if, so just to reiterate, if, if women want to go in and into incel tears or make YouTube videos where they make fun of incels, that's fine. I don't, I don't really care. But when men do it, I see it as a little bit indulgent. I see it as a little bit prurient and I see it as counterproductive because what we should be spending our energy on is trying to reach out to these young men and, and, and showing them in no uncertain terms that their ideology is wrong and that what they're doing is harmful and destructive and self-destructive. And that's how we need to be fighting this movement, I believe. And, and huh. there's, there's a lot of tactics and strategies that we could be using to do it. But at the end of the day, it's easy to make fun of these guys because they're essentially self. They say it themselves. They're, they're pathetic. They, they, they have like, you know, deep, deep issues. And they're, you know, and, and a lot of them uh, self have self-described um, mental disabilities. So, you know, a lot of them, can you know describe themselves as as autistic or having other kinds of mental mental problems anxiety I, I have a lot of mental problems myself so you know I, i've suffered from depression and anxiety all my life and i know how those kind of mental problems can fuel this kind of wrong thinking so yeah i guess what i'm saying is we should understand their viewpoint and we should understand why they are the way they are but we shouldn't give them a platform to spread their ideology, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I, I mean, just coming back to, you know, but, but not censorship. So I guess, what does that mean? So, you know, sh- is, is 4chan to blame? Is Reddit to blame? Is, you know, like, or 
should they be shut should these channels and forums be shut down immediately or well it, reddit shuts down these communities because they're they're literally making violent threats so that's like right. a violation of terms of service with reddit um you know and if anybody makes a violent threat then you know i would say they need to be shut down um right. but so first of all i'm an anarchist so I don't even believe the state should exist. So I'm not saying these people should be like arrested for what they're saying. Um, so, you know, it's not a matter of me thinking that the state should be solving this problem for us. And, and you could think of Reddit as sort of like an online version of the state. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like us. Hold, hold on. Wait, be, wait, wait, wait. Isn't this a contradiction <laughs> in terms? Because how can you be an anarchist and then support that a corporation uh, invoke and enforce the terms of service in order to censor a group. Well, so you're, well, okay. Like it, this is like a lot to unpack, but, <laughs> but the simple, so the simple answer is that you kind of sign this terms of service whenever you join Reddit. So you're like consenting to the fact that they can censor you. Yeah. But if you're so there's consent, if, there's consent if, involved, yes, but if you're an anarchist and you don't believe in the state, that a state should, should be supreme to an individual. Then right. Well, there's a there's a difference you... between a state and governance. So, like the whole idea of anarchism is that the state a state is non consensual. So, like the state, I was born an American citizen. I'm an American citizen. I never signed anything that says I'm an American citizen. I never consented to that. So, that's like where where anarchists have a problem. But with, you but you can but you consent consensual. to the terms of service of a corporation. If you want to go on Reddit, you have to. You know, right. Like, that makes sense yeah, to me. I mean, I mean, it, like in my perfect world, Reddit would be owned by the community, right? It wouldn't be owned by a corporation. But Reddit is—it is what it is. It's a social media platform. I don't. My favorite social media platform is not Reddit. You know, like I prefer Mastodon, which is actually a federated system where you can own your own means of communication. But if you want to participate on Reddit, you have to agree to their terms of service. So that makes sense. And it doesn't to me. really take any power away from you as an individual in terms of remaining an anarchist because you've agreed to do so. Yeah, it's like this whole like there's this whole there's this one argument that a lot of like conservatives like to use, which is like, oh, if you're a communist, then why do you use money? It's like you have to you have to like play the game if you live in the society where we have these systems. You know, like if I want to communicate with people, like I I I use Facebook every day to promote my materials, and then I get a lot of you know people come along and they say, oh, well, you're using Facebook, that's a capitalist corporation. It's like, well. If I want people to see what I'm saying in this capitalist society, you know, I have no other choice than to use these means of communication against them. But, I, you know, I guess that's going beyond the scope of this discussion. But the, but the point of the matter is that you, you do, like, consent to joining Reddit. So you consent to the idea that if you say something that's hateful and violent and threatening, you know, targeting people with, with violence, um, then, then they can I can take it down. Right. Yeah. It's like a community guideline to some extent you know and, and reddit is just one example there's a million ways that these people are communicating in fact they have their own sites so there's one called wizard chan so uh this is like its own it's not on reddit it's their own website so then that gets to this idea that i have that's that you can't rely on these sort of um state entities or corporate entities to censor and police them because they can build their own platforms they can go on the deep web if they want to and create websites that you can't even find on google you know so Censorship to me is not really the answer to this problem because they are going to find ways to communicate with each other just like any sort of reactionaries or any sort of extremists are going to find ways to communicate with each other. Like Mm -hmm. you can ban Al-Qaeda or ISIS from Reddit. You can ban them from talking on Facebook, but they're still going to find ways to communicate with each other. And this is the same sort of situation. So Mm -hmm. 
the way to really fight it in my mind is just by undermining their ideology, presenting them an alternative path. And, and that's not going to be like fun work. It's not going to be pleasant to do that because it means you have to, to some extent interact with these people. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I mean, so from a, right from a like um, scaling standpoint, you're talking about a lot of like one-on-one interaction. And so you'd have to have like, you know, another 40,000 people. You'd have to, you know, call up uh, Cambridge Analytica <laughs> and be like, Hey, can we, and yo, Russia and Ukraine, can we, can we borrow your posse for a sec? We got a problem to solve over here. <laughs> we need, you know, 40,000 trolls to sort of anti-troll this community and talk them out. Um, but if you, if you, if you do, even if you were able to like wipe out incels, right? Like some other toxic masculinity, uh, misogynistic viewpoint is going to come pop right back up because our society is toxically masculine, you know, or or our society empowers toxic masculinity. Our our society is misogynistic. So structurally and systematically, these problems crop up because of our systems, because of our society, which is something that they say themselves. So it's, again, it's like a it's like there is that um, accurate observation that, that, that leads them down a wrong path. Like mm-hmm. society definitely causes a lot of these problems, but it's not the way that they think it does. So, I mean, that's why I call myself an intersectionalist. Um, it's, that's very important to my ideology personally because intersectionalists believe that all of these problems of, of oppression and suffering that we have in our society are interlinked and interwoven. And you can't just attack one problem. You have to attack the whole system. So, for instance, racism is a big component of the incel community. They say they, a lot of their rhetoric is very racist. So they say a lot of things that are, um, you know, stereotypes. They stereotype about races. Um, one of the, the killer that's in California that you were talking about, you know, he, he talked a lot about race because he was half, I believe it was Malaysian or, or something. He, he, was, he was half some other ethnicity, non-white. And... Um, he contributed that or he attributed that to his, you know, problems with women a lot. So they have a lot of these like really embedded racial racist ideas because um, a lot of them also talk about black men, how black men are like physically genetically superior. And that's why it's so easy for them to become chads, as they say. Um, so, you know, racism is tied in with the sexism, which is tied in with capitalism, because another thing incels talk about a lot is wealth. And I'm not I'm not giving credit to their ideas, but I'm just saying that even in even in the mind of the enemy, as we want to call them, the the toxically masculine individuals, these are all interwoven ideas. But the problem is they're they're taking the wrong conclusions from it. And they're saying that because society is has all these problems and and, and they also, you know, have these false conclusions about race, like they don't think that um they, they have no concept of racial equality, for instance. They think that, you know, definitely the races are unequal and that they as white men should be entitled to white women. You see that a lot. And, um, and so, like, in order for you to fight that aspect of inceldom, you have to fight racism. In order for you to fight the idea that, oh, women only want, you know, rich, wealthy men, you have to deconstruct these capitalist aspects of our society and, and really teach them about how capitalism works. If you want to, am I making sense? I guess no, I'm kind of rambling. No, absolutely. Point, no, but, totally. <laughs> but it's I, all I mean, connected is the point. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'm curious, George, as someone who 
commonly on this podcast identifies as an alpha male. Um, and because you went, you went down the rabbit hole uh, in your research, how did you, what was your reaction? Like what, you know, how, I, I'll just stop with that. What was your reaction? My reaction was the insult movement is a massive rationalization for mm-hmm. two things. Poor communication skills with the opposite race. A inferi- an inferiority complex that they've um, nurtured over a very long time. And as our guest very eloquently stated, the incel movement gives them an enemy to hate and to focus on. And therefore, all of their insecurities, all of their misgivings and this inferiority complex that they've nurtured. And I truly believe this is a mental health issue where Mm -hmm. these men can't reach out to a mental health professional. And by and large, it's because most therapists are women and they don't, and men don't feel that they can talk to women. And specifically these men definitely don't believe they can talk to women. And it's very hard and it's very rare to find a male therapist that's willing to, you know, be available to talk to you about these things. And I think there is some type of intersectionality between having a single parent or having an absent father and becoming an insult because you never had a role model to, you know, teach you the virtues of, you know, how to man up and be a man. Mm, I don't know. Hey, you asked me, I, I'm I an would, alpha male, so no, you're right, the alpha no, male right. response. No, but, but I, I find it interesting that you would say that it, it's due to single parentdom or, or single motherhood when, um, in fact, I, I, would, I actually drew the opposite conclusion that, that it would be more likely that it would be a learned behavior. And if the individual is not, say, as masculine or has, you know, immense insecurities because they had a, you know, quote, terrible father... Um, or, you know, a father that displayed, like, not great role or, modeling or an absent, for... An absent no, 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 I'm not... No, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying I I would be more inclined to believe that they they think that the way to get marriage or love or, you know, the reasons that they might buy into all this incel or red pill propaganda is that they've seen... They've had a father figure who was quote dominant and um you know was a misogynist and treated his woman badly or or as she should be treated if you will um and so it's easier to buy into because they see well my parents are still married or that's how it was in my household and and so i'm not as quick to jump to the you know single mother problem if you will, well, I, I, I I would say that there are just a lot of different paths that lead people to this kind of ideology. You know, so for some of them, it might be because they didn't they didn't have a father to teach them to respect women. That's I'm sure that there are thousands of men, you know, who fit into that category. Uh, but then there are other men who like, for instance, I grew up in the deep south. Right. So, you know, most of my friends at that time, it was very conservative. There weren't a lot of divorces in the Deep South at that time. And a lot of my friends had fathers, but their fathers were, were terrible and gave them really bad examples of, of how to treat women and how mm-hmm. to 
be a man. So, uh, it, including within my own family. So, you know, um, I had uncle, my father was, was, you know, for the most, he's, he's pretty conservative, but he was, he taught me to respect women, but my, I have uncles and I have, you know, other family members who definitely did not respect women, definitely had a lot of terrible things to say about women. And my cousins, you know, as a result of that are to this day, you know, some of them are extremely toxically masculine. So, um, you know, and it's led to a lot of problems for them as well. I don't know if I have any incels in the family tree, but I might. But um, but the point is, you know, I think there are a lot of paths that society can send men down that, that ultimately bring them to this destination. And, George, I want to really thank you for bringing up the, the, the whole notion of not seeking mental health or not being able to, to get mental health, because that's a really important point that I forgot to bring up <laughs> earlier on. Um, you know, it, it's, again, another, another reason why I would – say this is an intersectional problem is the the lack of access to mental health that especially you know i'm an american and in the usa we we just don't have a lot of access to mental health and it can be extremely expensive and there have been times in my life when i needed you know counseling or i needed to talk to somebody and i just flat out couldn't afford it um you know because it could be very expensive and then you could try to use these free mental programs but it's a really difficult system to navigate it's really difficult to do you know like when you're depressed and you barely want to get out of bed in the morning, um, and then you, you know, the, the the task of finding a free mental health clinic, doing the paperwork, driving to the place, you know, like all of that mm-hmm. together is is monumentally yeah. challenging. So, you know, we need better social safety nets. We need better social education. You know, like like this is something that should be. And I took. I mean, I don't know what the sex ed classes are looking like now in the United States. When I was a teenager, which is probably about 20 years ago, yeah, was, is that right? Wow, I feel old. Um, but yeah, about 15 years ago when I was a teenager and I was going through sex ed, they didn't talk about respecting women. They said, put on a condom, don't get her pregnant, don't get AIDS. They didn't say, respect women. Women don't, you know, owe you sex. You're not entitled well, right. to sex. Right, that's the but, whole thing about, you know, on college campuses where they say, like, how about we stop teaching girls or women how to avoid rape and start teaching men instead to say not rape. Like that's, that's, you know, exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, as much as you say, whether or how, you know, what is American sex ed like? Well, one, you're lucky if you get even the condom talk. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, you know, that's, that's like not everywhere and there's a lot oh, of yeah, resistance yeah. to it in all kinds of places. So um, this isn't, Unfortunately, it's not a matter of like, oh, let's just tack this on to, you know, this education that we already have built in when we're still fighting the fight for just the condom talk. Um, But I would also add, as well as the financial and the, you know, uh, you described it perfectly in terms of the monumental challenge of, you know, all the tasks that you actually have to go through to get to said appointment or to get get said help. and that being incredibly difficult if you're if you're in a situation um, where you need it, there's also the stigma. There's also in mm-hmm. the in the not just the stigma that society might put on you if you get therapy, but the um, you know like if you're going through like the twelve step alcohol pro, uh, alcohols anonymous uh, alcoholics anonymous, and you know you have to stand up and say you know your name and I'm an alcoholic. Um, the the Going to the therapist or getting one or getting counseling or getting help is if, if, you know, the first thing you have to do is then acknowledge that something is wrong and that it's not going to get better unless you seek help. And, and it's very easy in the state of 
depression or self-pity or self-loathing or, or any of those things to like, there's a part of you that might think like, maybe this is a phase. Maybe I'll just grow out of it. Maybe it'll just go away or, you know. Well, there's the toxically masculine idea too, that maybe I just need to man up. I just need to tuck right, it out. Right. And that's another, that's something I struggled with when I was younger, you know, it's cause, cause that is something that was driven into my mind, you know, is that it, if you have a, if you have a mental problem, like depression, if you're depressed, man up, you know, men don't cry. What are you doing? Just, just uh, man up and stop being so, uh, don't, don't be a crybaby. Don't be a woman is another thing that, you know, men would often say to me when I was, you know, sad <laughs> when I was younger. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's, you know, it's all tied together. And then, so the fact that these men don't have access to the, to a, a, a healthy social safety net, like something like counseling or a support group means that they will fall into these ad hoc social safety nets, which are often extremely toxic, which are often cultish or extremist ideologically speaking. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the pyramid of white supremacy, but it talks about how uh, like this kind of like channel that people fall into that, that, that normalizes violence and, and people fall into these, these um, sort of alternative safety nets, which are not good safety nets. And as they move along down this path, they're kind of given an alternative form of counseling that presents them with this alternative set of solutions that just inherently leads to violence. So, um, you know, like it starts with like minimizing the idea of violence and then it moves on to veiling the idea of violence. So like, first I'll say things like this is specifically a, a concept about white supremacy, but I think it applies here. So like, for instance, they'll say, Oh, we all belong to the human race, right? There's no difference between white people and black people. So that's kind of minimizing the idea of racism. And then they will veil their racism. So they'll start going into like victim blaming, racist jokes, things that seem not so bad on the surface, but they, they're reinforcing these ideas. And then it moves on to discrimination to where you're getting a little bit more sort of seriously vocal about your, your racism. And then from there, it moves on into calls for violence and then actual violence. And I think that that same pattern of, of behavior is happening with these misogynists. And we're seeing these, and it's kind of, I mean, I guess from a sociological perspective, it's a little bit interesting to see misogyny being codified in the way that it is. It's obviously incredibly terrible, but the way that it, the way that, the manosphere movement, the red pill movement, the black pill movement, the way that this is sort of patterning over what we've already seen from religious fundamentalism and from white supremacy. I mean, it's kind of fascinating to me in a way, just how perfectly they kind of lay over each other in terms of the paths that people are taking to get to these forms of extremism. And again, it's tied to the idea that they don't have any other social safety nets to fall into. So they get embraced by these communities, the communities normalize the violence, and then that's why the violent acts occur. So... It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> right. And and from the from the angle of, you know, how someone can kind of fall into this. So so I can see very easily how this whole community um, in terms of the men's rights movement, um, you know, you could start in the side of saying like, hey, why don't why do men have such a hard time in divorce cases? Mm-hmm. And, you know, checking that out and going down the path of all of a sudden deciding that it's like totally okay. And in fact, the right way to be to rape women, you know, like that. Right. Um, and, you know, in terms of like the beta uprising or flat out kill Chad's and Stacey's. So, um, you know, it is, it isn't, it, it might feel to, to someone outside of any of that, like how could anyone ever get there? 
but it is incremental. It's very, it's, it's like the definition of slippery slope. Um, it's incremental and it's like, so, I mean, it's crafted, it's, yes. it's crafted in a way that they have an answer for every question mm-hmm. and they have a solution for every problem. And mm-hmm. you know, that's, if you're lost and you don't have anyone else to turn to and you don't know how to solve your problems, if somebody comes to you and they say, here's the way, this is the way to make your life better and make yourself, in this case, they're not really making themselves happier, but they're, they're at least joining a community where mm-hmm. they feel alone. They have this community they can turn to that has all these answers. And, you know, it's like this pseudoscientific aspect of the, of the manosphere is just incredibly overwhelming. And it's so hard to fight because I actually find myself like I make a lot of different videos about a lot of different subjects and the ones that draw the most trolls and the most angry young men are my videos about feminism. If I say anything positive about feminism or if I say anything, you know, that's even related to feminism, I just draw this like tidal wave of angry young men who want to come in and explain to me exactly how I'm wrong. And they have all of these, you know, resources that they cite. And then of course those resources are always part of the manosphere. So there's this, it's like, um, this is kind of a, a weird kind of a parallel, but um, one time I had an argument with, uh, you know, I have this friend who's Korean and we had this argument over like some kind of um, medical thing or whatever. And so I looked it up on Google and he was like, oh no, that's, that's the Western uh, internet. You have to look at the Korean internet to find the real answer. You know, so like they have their own internet. They have their own sort of like set of resources that they fall back on and they're not going to trust sources from the outside. It's exactly like you're, you were saying about Scientology mm-hmm. where they're trying to isolate you and make you distrust the outside world. They have their manosphere internet and it's so huge and it's so comprehensive and they could basically find a, a link or, or an article that's going to refute anything that I say because they're bought They've so heavily bought into this, this uh, system of ideas that they're not going to listen to any outside resource. So it's, it's frustrating. It's very difficult to fight. And that's why we need to be catching these people as early as possible on this path right. and presenting them an alternative path as early as possible because, you know, the deeper they go, the harder it's going to be to pull them out. I can see very easily, you know, many, many parents saying, oh, never my kid. My kid would never mm-hmm. do this, which, mm-hmm. which in a lot of ways is, is the opposite of addressing the problem. Uh, or, or preventing it, really. Well, um, I mean, honestly, I think that's how I was raised, and that's how most people my age were raised, because this wasn't even, like, on the radar of anybody, you know, 20 no, right. years ago. It was happening. It was happening. Mm-hmm. These problems aren't new, but they weren't, uh, in, in some ways, they weren't codified the way they were, and they weren't identified the way they are, and obviously, society was even more toxically masculine back then. So I was definitely raised with that whole hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil kind of mindset. Like, my mom never talked to me about, you know, don't rape women or this is what rape is. We never had that talk at all. She talked to me about sex and she talked, she gave me like dating advice, but we never talked about sexual violence or, or toxic masculinity because in her world that didn't even really exist. I guess it didn't have a because, name. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. Right. You can't, you can't until you name something, you can't have power over it. Right. So I hope that that's a going to be a positive result of having these discussions is that, you know, the long-term solution is obviously just to have people aware of these problems and knowing how to fight them and knowing how to teach their children and how to teach their peers earlier. You know, mm-hmm. that's obviously going to be a long-term solution. And I'm glad that there are, you know, parents like you out there who know to talk to their children about these things. That's going to have, you know, a ripple effect. Because if you educate your daughters, then hopefully they can be educating some of their friends and having positive experiences with men where they can, you know, teach, be teaching men. Cause you know, obviously men and women and all genders learn from each other. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, I think that positivity and and uh, education are going to be just vital in combating this kind of toxic masculinity and trying to catch them before they ever fall into that pit. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very important. And uh, that's a good way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Libby. Yay. Yes, thank you very much, uh, American, for joining us. And you can check him out again at his uh, on his blog at non-compete.com. Um, I believe we usually end the episode with uh, what made you happy this week, George? Tell us. It's only Wednesday. I'm not happy yet. (laughs) 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 Well, I will say that the thing that made me happy this week is that Childish Gambino is having a moment. And I'm a big fan and I'm a big Donald Glover fan in general. And his video... And his performance on SNL, um, the performance of the song, uh, This Is America, like, you know, just blew me away. So I I could not be happier to be in a time, you know, where I'm like watching Childish Gambino happen. I I feel like I'm, you know, a teenager who like saw Prince for the first time. Like, it's just it it's I, I so that by far. Um, made, made me exceedingly happy. I, I just want to also say for our listeners that are local to um, my area here in, in Ventura County, there is the other thing that made me happy was that um, I have a couple of friends who went to city council meeting tonight because there are a number of local city councils here who are all starting to side with Jeff Sessions in his lawsuit against California because of the passage of SB 54, which is um, the act that are that California passed to become a sanctuary state. So Jeff Sessions is now suing us, and a number of cities down down in my hood are uh, starting to sign on with the lawsuit. They they agree with Jeff Sessions. Do you um, save that for a future podcast? Because there is no county in Southern California as diverse. And as polarizing as Ventura County. Yeah. I can definitely see, you know, two cities being liberal islands surrounded by red Kansas in Ventura County. I am trying to be that island. So I just want to say the thing that made me happy is that I know a number of moms out there tonight who are at city council meeting making their voices heard to make sure that our city council does not support um, Jeff Sessions and his efforts. So shout out to those moms and we'll definitely talk about this in future podcasts. America, would you like to say anything? Uh, tell us about your YouTube channel. If you're, if you're interested in leftism, I like to think of my channel as just sort of like a, I, I'm not, I'm not too aggressive. Like a lot of, you know, if you think about anarchism or communism, you probably think about like angsty, angry people. And a lot of us are not, most of us are not. And I try to present the sort of friendly face of anarcho-communism. If you're, if you're a really hardcore liberal and you're still frustrated with the system and you're not exactly uh, happy with like the Democratic Party and the way things are going with that mainstream politics, then check out my channel, uh, non-compete.com. I also have some blogs, talk about a lot of things like racism, sexism, intersectionality. So definitely invite you to come over and check it out. And I thank you very much for having me on the program because, you know, you're talking about what made you happy. And this is definitely what made me happy this week because it was really fun to look back at some of your older episodes. And, you know, it's not the most fun subject, but it was fun sort of researching these issues and, and getting ready for this program and talking to you. So thank you for having me.